You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. And welcome to another edition of the Domecast, our weekly look back and ahead on all things in politics and government in North Carolina. I'm Andy Curlis with the News and Observer. Thank you for joining us. We have a good show lined up. Well, we think it is. You'll decide that. Uh, We're going to talk about a little bit of fighting, uh, infighting, if you will. hate to use the word fighting, but um, uh, I guess that's the best shorthand for it. In the uh, Republican Party on the side of things, a couple things going on in the past week on that. Uh, We'll talk about some other uh, issues. There was a a Miller Coors uh, flap that that came up involving uh, Senate leader uh, Phil Berger. Uh, we'll even check in with uh, Lynn Bonner on the Donald Trump appearance in Raleigh uh, last uh, week. And, of course, we'll have headliners of the week. But let's uh, get right into it with Patrick Gannon of The Insider and Colin Campbell of The News and Observer. Thanks for being here. Uh, Colin, let's start with you. So, uh, big, big, some of the big news of the week, uh, Pat McCrory, uh, gets a primary challenger. Tell us about it. Yeah. So, um, for several weeks now, uh, former state representative, uh, Robert Brawley, who's from, uh, Mooresville, um, and last served in the legislature about two years ago, uh, had mentioned that he was mulling a run, that he'd gotten such a good reaction from his plan to try to take back his seat that he lost in a primary challenge, actually, a couple years ago, uh, that he decided he was looking at a higher office. Um, and then uh, this week, he formally went down to the Board of Elections and filed for uh, his campaign, which means that McCrory will have to be up on the ballot in the uh, Republican primary in March. Prior to this, he had no primary challenger, so he was pretty much smooth sailing. He was uh, looking ahead uh, to the fall and, and to most likely running against Roy Cooper, the Democrat in the race. Uh, Brawley is uh, kind of an interesting guy because he's uh, sparred fairly uh, prominently with uh, Tom Tillis when Tillis was Speaker of the House. Most of Brawley's experience in the legislature was in the 80s and 90s, but he came back, I think, for just about one term um, uh, under Speaker Tillis. And uh, during the time Tillis was in charge, uh, Brawley accused him of a number of ethical issues. Uh, that prompted a lot of Tillis and his allies to really try to marginalize um, Brawley uh, in the legislature. And we saw a little about this at this week. Uh, former State Representative Ruth Samuelson from Charlotte, who is uh, pretty closely aligned with Tillis, uh, sort of put out her own news release when uh, Brawley announced saying that she felt like he was untrustworthy, he would not be worthy of the office, that he was ineffective. Um, so some really, really strong words from her. Um, it's been interesting for me to see how the Republicans have uh, handled the, the entry of, of Brawley into the race. The NCGOP has been silent on his entry. Uh, they're, of course, not supposed to take sides in primaries. Uh, the governor's campaign did not have any comment on it this week. Um, so really all you saw in response was Samuelson coming out and criticizing Brawley, and then you saw Phil Berger coming out and going ahead and making his formal endorsement and, of Pat McCrory. Endorsing, and so that really kind of sets the scene there that that Brawley is an outsider in a way, which is maybe how he would want to run in, into that race. Is that right? Yeah, so I, mean, I guess the sense is where he fits on the spot sort of political spectrum. I think his voting record, aside from having those very public fights with Tom Tillis, was fairly 
close to the Republican mainstream. Since he's been out of office, he's been very active in the Interstate 77 anti-tolling movement down in the, mm-hmm. the Charlotte area, which has been a big issue down there and uh, could give him some support. But really, you know, the folks that don't like Pat McCrory uh, in the Republican Party are going to be inclined to support his candidacy um, just as sort of a protest vote. Whether that amounts to much of anything remains to be seen, but I, I doubt it's a challenge that McCrory will actually run the risk of not winning the Republican nomination. Mm, sure, sure. So the the uh, other little piece of news, I guess, that affects McCrory, not by name, was uh, the bond campaign. Uh, there was something that came out. Help me. Pat or Colin. Oh, it was the uh, there was a ruling from I guess the state board of, ed, uh, of elections, elections or some sort of at least I don't know if it was a formal ruling or just a recommendation, but that elected officials could not be part of the bond campaign, not appearing appearing in, in their ads and, and stuff. Things so that like means that, McCrory yeah. is sort of sidelined mm-hmm. uh, from that process at least to some extent. Um, so uh, you know Pat McCrory, who obviously really was out front pushing for the bond, uh, and there was a lot of chatter. Uh, you know, uh, in in Raleigh and around uh, political circles that he would, uh, you know, really want to get out there and, and be a face of the bond campaign in some form or fashion. Um, and that that uh, may not be uh, the case in some form or fashion in that. So if you're McCrory, you, you probably would have preferred uh, not to have a primary challenger and preferred to maybe be a part of the bond campaign. I don't know, Pat Gannon, uh, what do you think? Kind of uh, similar to, I guess, on the same uh, issue, I was at a a luncheon this week with a lot of uh, state leaders and and Commerce Secretary John Scavarla spoke at that meeting about priorities for the Commerce Department in uh, uh, 2016. And the first thing he mentioned was the bond referendum, basically that that the state has to pass this. We need this infrastructure to, um, uh, to help attract jobs. And um, it, it's definitely needed uh, for the future. So that was his his number one priority. So even if McCrory is not out there in front, it's it's pretty clear that I think some of his top uh, lieutenants in state government will be mm. out there. No doubt about that. Yeah. So, Pat, you've also been following uh, uh, some of this other there's some other sort of uh, interparty uh, uh, goings on. Tell us, uh, tell us what you've been interested in. Yeah, so so for a while now, for the last couple of years in the Republican House Caucus, there's been kind of this divide where you have some of the more, I guess, middle of the road Republicans, although they, they they'll say they're conservative, but you definitely have this uh, farther right uh, conservative wing of the Republican Party that had uh, that had issues with the budget this year. They thought the budget was, uh, spending the house budget was spending too much money. So they, so they all got together and they helped force some changes, uh, to that, um, to, to spend less money. Um, they had, uh, complaints about the incentives package that went through this right wing, uh, uh, part of the, uh, house Republican caucus did. So more recently, uh, one of the members of that of that contingent, uh, Representative Justin Burr of of Stanley County, um, when he filed for reelection this year, he he uh, posted on Facebook and Twitter, I think, kind of a scathing uh, letter denouncing the House Republican leadership. Didn't name uh, Speaker Tim Moore by by uh, you know by name, but he mentioned the House Speaker and how he thought that the Speaker was. Uh, had, had kind of surrounded himself by a close group of friends and allies, including Representative David Lewis, Representative Nelson Dollar, and, and a couple others, while kind of um, 
leaving this more conservative caucus uh, out of a lot of the decisions. Uh, so it's clear that this this conservative group, that Mike Hager, Representative Mike Hager, the, the uh, majority leader in the House, seems to be a part of that group. Uh, Representative Chris Millis, Representative George Cleveland, there's there's plenty of others. Um, is is going to be more vocal uh, in public? It seems um, mm-hmm. now, so it makes it very intriguing for next year. A how the how the House is going to go about um, passing controversial legislation that that you know, maybe this contingent doesn't like, and also uh, who the, it sets up an interesting race for speaker the following year. Uh, speaker Morris told me he, if he gets reelected next year, that he plans to vie for speaker again in 2017, but clearly somebody from this group of, of more far right conservatives uh, will, will try to oust him. So that no, sets yeah. up some intrigue for next year. Yeah, no doubt about it. So that will be worth uh, watching. Let's uh, take a break and we will be back Um, and shift gears a little bit. Uh, We'll be back in a second. Would it be crazy if you packed your bags and left for a week, a month, a year? What if you left for two years? What if you were going far away to help in a village on the edge of the Gobi Desert, to spend time with people the rest of the world only reads about, to teach children and learn a thing or two about yourself? Would that be crazy? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov. And welcome back to the Domecast. I'm Andy Curlis with the News and Observer. We thank you for listening. Uh, we wanted to shift gears a little bit, talk about two things. One, uh, we're joined with uh, by Ben Brown of the uh, Insider. Hi. And Lynn Bonner of the News and Observer. Hello. And let's talk first, Ben. There's a really interesting uh, story that sort of came and went pretty fast this week. Uh, But it relates to a brewery. And we've talked about craft beer and things like that before. This is not a craft beer uh, issue. This is a major brewery Mm -hmm. in, of all places, Eden. Tell us about Eden, why that's so important, and why a brewery uh, in Eden is in the political news. Right, and there's a craftier sidebar to this, but but really, as you said, it's a major brewery, um, and I always have a hard time saying the word brewery for some reason. I just can't get it out. But um, I'm sure I just fumbled it uh, three times there in the last two minutes, but go ahead. But Eden becomes important. Uh, Senate leader Phil Berger is from Eden where the Miller Coors Brewery employs hundreds of people. And that brewery is on mm-hmm. track. It's like, 500, like 520, 520, I think, was the last is, number. Is yeah, the figure that keeps coming yeah, up. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of jobs in a small town. And that brewery is set to close, um, as announced back in September by Miller Coors. It's set to close in September 2016. It's fall 2016. I feel like it's September is the date. Um, this week, and actually this toes back into last Friday. It's right, right before election. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah, keep going. Okay. So... Right as we were recording our last Domecast, uh, Berger, along with Representative Burt Jones, who was also from that area, those guys and more than 100 other lawmakers sent a letter to U.S. Senator Tom Tillis saying, wait a minute, the timing is weird here with this closure. Uh, Miller Coors announces a closure, and then mere days later, talks go public of a merger between the parent company of Miller Coors and AB InBev, uh, which makes Budweiser, largest Mm -hmm. beer maker in the world. Um, it would be one of the biggest mergers ever, certainly in the beer world, so it would have to survive regulator, regulator scrutiny. 
So in the form of a series of questions in this letter, Berger and Jones kind of speculate very firmly that the closure was directly related to the merger as a maneuver to, to dump assets and smooth out the merger process in a way that cost America and North Carolina more than 500 jobs. Um, they said that's not right. They said the merger shouldn't proceed until the people of Rockingham County, again, where Berger is from, until they get some answers. So they asked for an investigation, and they asked Tillis to question the CEOs of the merging companies about what's what. Uh, Tillis is a member of the, this uh, Senate subcommittee that deals with antitrust issues and competition and fairness, and uh, they held a, uh, a hearing, I believe it was on Tuesday, in Washington, D.C., where the head of uh, AB InBev was there, the head of Molson Coors was there, there were some other uh, uh, beer people kind of just looking at the merger in general, what some of the details are, what some of the concerns are with competition and fairness. Craft beer came up as something that might be uh, threatened by this. Um, uh, again, these are the two biggest beer companies, so mm-hmm. kind of getting together. Um, and the bottom line from the, uh, from the CEOs was that, no, it's, it's just a coincidence. Um, you know, uh, the, the Eden site was, uh, if you look at Miller Coors in general, since Miller Coors was created, I think it was in 2008, um, they've lost about 10 million barrels of volume. Uh, so that's about the equivalent of about a, a brewery, what it should be putting out a year. I think the, the Eden site put out 7 million barrels in 2014. So they're saying, you know, subsequently a brewery had to close. And there's another one semi-nearby in uh, Virginia, Virginia. Right, yeah. So they're saying the geographics, the way it played mm-hmm. out, um, they have to ship those resources to Virginia. The Eden plant has to close. They're saying those are the economics. It's, it's just market factors. Nothing to do with the merger. Uh, Tillis put them on the spot again at the end and basically said, you know, uh, some answers still need, still need to come out about this because Rockingham County uh, is struggling and it's, it's, and now this is happening. Hundreds of, of more people are going to be unemployed. So I think you should probably respond to these lawmakers who are concerned and have a talk with them and tell them what the realities are. Um, just to clarify, just to keep score, SAB Miller owns Miller Coors. SAB Miller would merge with AB InBev. As part of this, SAB Miller would divest Miller Coors, which is a joint venture in the U.S. between SAB Miller and Molson Coors, which is based in Denver. Molson Coors would take on Miller Coors in full. The CEO of Molson Coors was at this U.S. Senate hearing. Instead, it's purely coincidental that the Eden Brewery closure announcement landed immediately before the merger talks went public. Mm-hmm. Just a coincidence, yeah. That's what they're and so the, the and just to be clear, the Berger uh, and and Bert Jones wrote the letter, but they were joined by uh, was like 112 yeah, other. It was almost the entire Senate, as I recall, mm-hmm. and, and and a significant number of representatives in the House, bipartisan. Right. Uh, is this thing over with? Uh, what, I mean, do we have any sense of, okay, these guys go up there and they say coincidence, and is I, that it? I know the office of, uh, of Berger uh, wants this conversation to continue. I asked them, mm-hmm. you know, this is what the, the CEOs said, you know, what do you think about it? And they are still skeptical. They still want some answers to come out, so they still want to kind of hit the button on this and uh, mm-hmm. make sure this story keeps rolling. So interesting, the the uh, free market, uh, the 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 CEOs and that say, well, this is just part of the market playing out. 
but now uh, lawmakers on both sides of the aisle concerned about that. So that's bears watching. And, and there was yeah. some criticism about that on Twitter too. There were people uh-huh. kind of kind of making light of the situation and saying like, wait a minute, what about these free market principles mm. that you know I thought you held dear? It, it just mm. sort of became a. a a story that blew up into a criticism point about making criticism to begin with. And, uh. Well, at the end of the day, though, uh, you know, those those are a lot of jobs in a district, so that's what happens. Lynn Bonner, uh, you had the assignment of the month and possibly the year. You were at the Donald yeah. Trump uh, rally late last Friday night. Yes. Tell uh, uh, I, yeah. I just want to know, what was that like? What was, was the uh, scene? Of course, everybody's been watching. more like a rock concert in a lot of ways than a political rally that I've been to. I mean, it's helped along by the fact that he plays that Twisted Sister song, We're Not Gonna Take It, over and over and over again. Oh, really? Really okay. loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Steve Snyder doesn't like that, by the way. He's, yeah, uh, he decided it. Yeah, about, right, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, 8,000 people, really uh, raucous crowd. Um, and there were, you know, what is surprised by, this was a few days after the San Bernardino massacre, and he didn't really bring that up until somebody asked him about it in the question and answer, but um, he said, you know, if people there had been armed uh, other than the uh, terrorists, then um, the turnout would have been different. Uh, but, and this was a couple of days before he made the proposal to um, bar Muslims from entering the country. Uh, nonetheless, um, you know, there were lots of the famous one-liners of, you know, we're going to stop these countries, other countries from breaking us off and build a wall and um, lots of lots of cheering and um, and also some protesters. He was interrupted by protesters. I counted uh, seven times. Um, and they were they were let out. I, I didn't see this, but I read somewhere that some one of the protesters was punched on the way out but uh so yeah so not entirely a a peaceful Uh crowd but um quite a very loud it was it was a scene yeah Yeah. and um a couple of days after um there was a new ppp poll out saying that trump now has a clear lead in north carolina Mm -hmm. among republican voters i guess he's at 33 percent ahead of Cruz, who's at 16, so yeah, that's a yeah, big gap. That, that is yeah. a gap. Um, now, the protesters, I think, is what, uh, is, you know how this works, folks, the uh, national media has to cover this every day, and so they're always looking for a new thing. The protesters, I think, ended up being sort of what the national coverage picked up on from that visit. Right, yeah. Uh, um, there was a piece that focused primarily on the protests. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there were protesters inside and there was a protest outside yeah how long was he on the stage for those who haven't watched him or paid much attention how long is he actually there he was there for nearly an hour um half of it is his speech and about half the time he's um answering questions from the crowd so that's really he, yeah, interesting yeah, he i mean is there a microphone minutes. there's people running around and they hand the mic to somebody R- yeah to ask their right. question yeah uh-huh. really okay yeah. You don't see that very often nowadays. No, no. Um, It's uh, a little, yeah, it's different. I mean, the last uh, rally I was at, it was Paul Ryan when he was running for vice president. And the atmosphere here for Trump was a lot Mm -hmm. different. A lot different. Um, And then, of course, the the other, I want to ask one more question about that, which is at what point does he then ask everybody, he's got 8,000 people there, 
uh, certainly they passed the hat, a basket, uh, and oh, he asked no, everybody to no, donate to his campaign. No, this is definitely not right? about him asking for money. I mean, he really mocks the other candidates for for having super PACs, and, and part of his line is that, look, I'm independent. I'm not going to ask you anybody for money. I'm I'm self-funded. It's the other guys you have to worry about because they're going to be beholden to people who give them money. Mm-hmm. The others are bought. I'm That's not. Right. Exactly. Okay. Wow. So uh, I bet does that I bet that gets a good uh, yeah it's good that's response. it's a good that's yeah. a good applause line for interesting him. okay very good let's take a break and we'll be back with our headliners of the week if you want to be an adoptive parent it doesn't matter if you're a little different I'm a box troll oh really what do you look like your ears aren't pointy I slept on them funny or what you sound like uh, you just need to be there. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care don't need perfection. They just need you. Call 888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. And welcome back to the Domecast. Hopefully you didn't just... Uh, move the little scroller thing over to get to the last segment, which is headliners of the week. If you did that, go back and listen. The good show in the books already. But let's go now to our favorite part of the show, headliners of the week. Uh, We ask our guests to nominate somebody, argue for why they should be the headliner. 45 seconds is the clock, and uh, then we we pick somebody uh, just for fun. There's no... Uh, plaque that goes out or, or you know there's not a trophy at the end of the show here but uh, we do have fun and we'll we'll pick somebody as the headliner okay let's go to who's it gonna be let's see let's see uh benjamin brown of the insider you're on the hot seat tell us who is the headliner of the week i'm gonna do the inanimate object category and say the archdale building which is um if you uh frequent the legislative building you you know it it's that uh tall skinny structure across the lawn and every single time project phoenix is mentioned uh which is sort of like the government complex revitalization spirit uh the governor likes to mention that he'd love to tear that building down and he's not the only one i i kind of like it i don't know i mean there's something aesthetically pleasing about it to me and i can't put my finger on it it has a sort of industrial look which is maybe why they want to tear it down but um on twitter i actually got a, a tweet from uh uh, a legislative aide named uh, Laura Perrier, who, uh, legislative assistant, excuse me, who, uh, you know, I, I expressed my interest in that building. She says, especially when the fire system malfunctions and the flashing lights make it look like they're having a massive rave. I haven't seen that yet, and I would love to. I think that would just totally enhance, I think that would launch a Save the Archdale building uh, movement for me. Maybe I'd have to resign oh. to do that. But I don't know. Oh, I can't hit the bell while you're talking about a rave in a state. <laughs> government building (laughs) oh i have spent a lot of time in that building over the years uh talking with folks i'm not going to reveal any sources but obviously there's the department of public safety there and uh that building i don't think anybody will miss it uh but anyway okay so the archdale building uh in the hat you know, they can maybe that could be like a Hampton or something. They could just uh, turn it into a hotel. I'd stay there. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Lynn Bonner. 
Lynn Bonner, tell us who is your headliner of the week. My pick for this week is uh, Rich Raleigh, Republican businessman, Art Pope, who said this week he is going to back uh, Marco Rubio in the GOP primary for president. This really highlights the importance of having, of the candidates having uh, rich people in uh, backing them um, because they can support them through super PACs, um, and this gives, uh, this widens the well of money that Rubio can turn to in white, w- w- what might be a, a, a long primary season. So I'm going to give uh, Art Pope my, my, my vote. Yeah, Art Pope, uh, an announcement on Rubio, and of course there, that, that will uh, get the attention of other uh, wealthy, uh, politically interested uh, people too. You know, they'll say, "Oh, wow, Art Pope's going for Rubio." I need to, if I haven't taken a look at him, I will. So that is a um, definitely made uh, headlines and picked up across the country, really showing you the uh, clout there, I guess, of uh, Art Pope. All right, uh, Colin Campbell, tell us. Who is your headliner of the week? Well, as much as I've gotten flack for this in the past, I have to go with the uh, inanimate object route um, oh as well gosh, as ben, two. We two, have yeah. two inanimate objects. Yeah, but this one legitimately uh-huh. is a headliner because it has been in the headline. Uh, it's the uh, North you, New North Carolina state logo and branding campaign. Nothing compares with the uh, uh, logo that's uh, blue and green and has the little uh, longleaf pine tree or is described as a longleaf pine tree in the middle. There's some debate as to whether it might be a different type of pine tree, but uh, jury's still out on that one. I haven't talked to an arborist. But at any rate, it's uh, it rolled out over the summer on about 70-some billboards around the state uh, with images of, of the state and just trying to uh, create a cohesive brand and logo for different uh, state agencies, at least those that are under Governor Pat McCrory's administration. He was really active in uh, developing uh, the brand, um, and the reception has been interesting because a lot of uh, folks on the graphic design side and just general laymen who are viewing the uh, the new logo decide they don't like it. They think that the fonts don't match up or that the um, images look too clip arty. Um, so we've we've heard a lot of discussion about this this week, even though this was something that uh, technically rolled out months ago. Okay, so the logo. I guess it, what is what, what is actually in the state logo? Is that where it's not the it's it, what are we calling it? It's a yeah. I mean, I refer to it as the state it, logo, but okay. it's basically the logo that will be used by every government agency that's under the McCrory administration. So okay. all the cabinet agencies. So it's a logo. Okay. Um, yeah. We'll have it on their letterheads, their mm-hmm. signage, all that. It's stuff not the eventually. seal. We haven't replaced the seal. I don't think they can do yeah, that without okay. the legislature. It's on a bunch of billboards too, right? Billboards, yeah. yeah Seventy-five a, of them. Yeah. Uh, it's a billion and a half dollar uh, wow. program to okay. make this happen. State logo. Uh, all right. So the state logo, inanimate object, another inanimate. That's okay. Um, we won't. The one thing about inanimate objects is they can't complain about it. Nor, <laughs> nor can they demand a dome mug. That's true. Yeah. All right. Uh, Patrick Gannon, you're last on this week's show. Tell us who is the headliner of the week. I'm gonna continue with the theme of not too serious nominees this week. Um, Although in the spirit of the uh, the campaign filing, election filing season, I'm going to go with um, Ronald Pierce, who uh, has become a candidate for insurance commissioner, um, but for a pretty interesting reason. Uh, in 2014, the current insurance commissioner, Wayne Goodwin, 
announced that uh, Ronald Pierce, uh, who, who I guess owns a construction company in Charlotte, had been arrested on 108 fraud charges. Um, Pierce uh, says they were completely false, and he was, uh, you know, put in jail falsely uh, for that. So now he's running uh, for for uh, Wayne Goodwin's job. Um, he's uh, Pierce is also or says he's written a book about the uh, experience titled "Pissed Off." Um, and he promises to, to take a hard line against insurance companies he says are cheating their customers. So uh, Ronald Pierce, uh, one of the interesting candidates we have uh, signing up as the filing period uh, mm-hmm. continues through next week. Mm-hmm. Sometime. Ding. Uh, th- so author Ronald Pierce, author. Uh, book. Apparently. Yeah, okay. Um, maybe we'll find out at Quail Ridge Books, which is moving. That was in the news. Could have gone that way, too. All right. So there we go. We got them all in the hat. State logo, Art Pope, Ronald Pierce, Archdale Building. And I don't think there's any question this week what the headliner of the week uh, is, was. Uh, I will go with the state logo uh, to have that much conversation and chatter uh, all week. It just shows you uh, how much art and uh, design is in the eye of the beholder, and uh, so it's fascinating to see so much conversation. There are uh, uh, state employees weighing in on it and uh, uh, and others. Uh, I, I don't know that that's a longleaf pine that's in the logo. It looked to me like I went and started searching for the Stanford uh, uh, Cardinal, the Nerd Nation logo. I was even looking at that one. Um, and became concerned that the state maybe had uh, got too close to that. So anyway, uh, the state logo, Colin Campbell with the winner this week, uh, goes into the hat, and as we go out, we'll hear from the, the state logo. We I think we can grab an audio clip of it, right? And, yeah, I did uh, a great interview with him about yeah, a week or so ago. Uh, and so we'll thank you for listening. Nothing compares. We've got that. I was, we were going to grab some of that music. We can grab, uh, what's that, Sinead O'Connor, right? Is it? Uh, <laughs> Nothing compares to yeah, you, the 1990 yeah. hit song. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll head out with that. Uh, and, uh, and we thank you for listening and... Uh, as always, uh, we appreciate your uh, feedback, and uh, we will see you soon. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.